Now, my intent tonight, Psalm 46, is not to preach a full exposition. Uh, I'm not prepared. But Psalm 46 is perhaps one of the psalms I've preached on over the years the most, and um, for good reason. And I picked it because it is the hymn that Luther based his hymn upon, but I also picked it because of the events going on in the world right now. And I suspect that even the most faithful and trusting Christian, if you really consider about the world scene, if you consider the world scene right now, what's going on in Israel, the fact that uh, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, all those Arab nations around Israel, Jordan, are all turning on Israel. Um, as you think of how Russia is aligned with Iran, and none of this is speculation, as you think of China and their aggression towards the United States, I think even perhaps the most mature Christian, uh, if we're thinking clearly, is a little unsettled. And we need to recognize it is not hyperbole to suggest that this world could plunge into a horrible war in an instant. It wouldn't take much. So the temptation for us in these days is to be anxious, is to be fearful. Uh, Our temptation is to just ignore these things, and that is not the biblical response. Uh, Here is a wonderful response in Psalm 46. Let me give attention to the reading of God's word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains shake into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its lofty pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. Excuse me, she will not be shaken. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations roar, the kingdoms shake. He gives his voice, the earth melts. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of Yahweh, who has appointed desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the the bow and cuts up the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Well, this originally was a song, and it would have been for the choir uh, that was involved in temple worship. We see that in the introduction here for the choir director of the Sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. We don't know that tune, but this is a, this ever before uh, Martin Luther um, adapted it into a hymn, it was a beloved hymn of Israel. And Israel today lives in a fearful world, and Israel in the days of Korah, the Sons of Korah, lived in a fearful world, and we live in a fearful world. Uh, Disney has, uh, understandably somewhat, but over the, I'm, I always beat up on Disney. It's, you know, it's not only Disney, but Disney and that whole industry 
of American entertainment and so forth has tried to persuade an entire generation that the world is really a nice place after all. And after all, if we're only nice enough and if we can get enough psychologists out there, nothing wrong with psychologists, but the idea seems to be that you know, uh, the real problem people have is mental health. There's no real evil, no real sin. And, and our culture has kind of promoted that idea for years. And that certainly is being exploded. It should have been exploded with 9-11, but uh, we, we have a hard time getting the message. And uh, right now, uh, we see what's going on in the world. The world is a very dangerous, fearful place. And you know this, but our culture here in the United States, is gripped by fear. I mean, almost the point of paralysis. You know it's a multi-million, billion-dollar business, the pharmaceutical industry of anxiety medications. And listen, I understand that there are times when there are physiological, truly um, chemical, physiological reasons why someone may need to be on some kind of medication like that. But in the vast majority of the cases, what you have is people trying to um, live with the reality that the world is a fearful place. So where do we turn? Uh, What do we do as Christians? Well, as Christians, we, with these uh, godly people of old, we declare God is our refuge and strength. In the Hebrew here, uh, literally reads, God is, God is to us. That little preposition, he is toward us. He is to us, a refuge in strength. I, I love that because it means that God is inclined toward his people. He's, he's not like a massive rock or a, just a mere uh, stationary safety, like a bunker. He is active towards us. And he is our refuge, and he is our strength. The word refuge or stronghold has something to do with the external need that we have. The strength speaks to the need that we have from within, that we be courageous in the face of fearful realities, that it's God's people in the face of all the opposition that we face, that we have some strength within. And God is both to us. He is our security, our refuge. We go to him. He is the one who protects us. And he is the strength of our hearts. Um, Some of us uh, maybe have thought um, that we were strong, maybe strong in our resolve, strong in our determination. And as life goes on, we're taught, I guess I'm not so strong. That's not a bad lesson. For as Christians, we need to learn we're in fact very, very weak. And our strength is God and God alone. Well, not only is he our refuge and strength, he is a, I love this, a, it doesn't just say a present help. It doesn't even say just a help. It says a very present help. I mean, that's interesting language. He is with us and he is very present. He is, again, in Hebrew, the word is found much help, found much. In other words, overflowing in abundance with us. He is 
a help that can be found greatly in times of trouble. You don't, in times of trouble, we don't have to go searching high and low for God. He is very, very, very much present with us. And God is spirit. And we've learned in Sunday school and the doctrine of God, or we've at least reminded ourselves that God is immense and that he is omnipresent. But the psalm here is saying it's not referring merely to the reality of his omnipresence. It's, it's telling us that, of course, God is everywhere, but God is mindfully, knowingly, intentionally, lovingly with and towards his people in a time of trouble. And therefore, because God is who he is, and because he's with us, we don't need to fear. And sometimes, notice how verse 2 is phrased, we will not fear. There's, um, you know, this is not arrogance here. This is not, yeah, we'll, we won't fear. This is, this is humility. Because of who God is, even though my heart is tempted to fear, we're not going to. We're, just, we're not going to fear. It's not going to be an option. And some of us, it would actually be helpful tonight to, to do that. Um, you know who God is. You know something of who he is. And sometimes we just need to our, say to our heart, well, you're done fearing. You're done fearing things because God is who he is. So we will not fear because of who God is, even in, in light of all these calamities. I mean, even if, if the mountains literally fall into the heart of the sea. I mean, that, that's pretty significant. So in the first three verses, we have absolute confidence in God. And then in verses four through seven, we are brought to a different scene, uh, the city of God, the city of God, which is ultimately uh, Zion, Jerusalem, and the new, new Jerusalem when it comes down to earth. This idea here that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, that's very interesting because Jerusalem doesn't have its own river. Ever thought of that? It's actually up in a pretty high mountainous region, pretty arid. There is a spring, and, and to this day we have Hezekiah's tunnel. I'd like to see it someday. Uh, in Jerusalem, you can actually see the tunnel that Hezekiah built. Uh, you ever seen a YouTube video on it? You should, you should Google that. It's pretty cool. Uh, you can find Hezekiah, the, temp, the very tunnel that during the reign of Hezekiah that he built to bring water from the spring just outside the walls into the city so that they could uh, survive a siege by the Assyrians. But there's no river. But nonetheless, verse 4 says, there is a river that made glad the city of God. Well, what could that river be? Well, interestingly, in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, we don't need to turn there, but in Ezekiel 47, when Ezekiel is given a tour of the temple that will be around during the millennium and and even the the new Jerusalem we learn in Revelation when it comes down to earth there will be a river from under the throne Ezekiel in Ezekiel 47 1 he says their water was flowing down from under from the right side of the house the temple from the south of the altar and that water of life Ezekiel uh, is also described in Revelation 22 uh, there, the angel shows John a river of life, a water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb in the middle of its street. This is the New Jerusalem. 
And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This psalm is rejoicing in the fact that God will have the last victory and God ultimately will reign in peace. And from his throne will go a river that will supply the needs of his people. In other words, water gives life. God gives life. Jesus said in John 7, He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So the idea here is that even if we are a besieged people, that in God we have all the resources we need for life. And God is in the midst of his people. He's in the midst of his temple. And therefore, we don't need to worry about being shaken. Again, the fixation here is is on Jerusalem and as she is besieged and God will help her when morning dawns. The night can be the time when a, a siege is the worst. But the beauty here of the idea of God coming to help the city when morning dawns. And all God has to do, all Christ has to do is verse 6 is give his voice and the earth will melt. That's what we sang. One little world word will fell him. Meaning that the word of God, the word of Christ is sufficient to silence Satan. And we saw that this morning in Zechariah 3. Jesus, the, the Christ, the angel of the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And we don't hear any more from Satan. Amazing. That's the, that's the power of God's word. And it is none other, verse 7, than Yahweh of hosts who is with us. We need to remember that God by himself is omnipotent. But as a display of his power, he has myriads and myriads of angelic beings that he will ultimately commission to defend and protect his people. So that's a great comfort um, that whatever sorrows or persecutions, even um, violent persecutions, Christians go under in this world at this time. It's not because God doesn't have the resources. Rather that God has a purpose, a fearful purpose, sometimes a painful purpose. But he's purifying his church. He's giving his saints an opportunity to honor him, sometimes even with their blood. But in the end, God is going to commission, send Christ to return with all his holy ones that are the angels and us to conquer the enemies of God and of his people. So verse 8 through 11 then, as we've, uh, see that, you know, as we've seen that there's opposition to God and God's people, this is almost the aftermath. It's, it's as though the last battle has already taken place. And we're being invited to come behold the works of Yahweh. And he's appointed desolations in the earth. And you just need to read the book of Revelation to see what kind of desolations he's going to bring on this earth. This rebellious, proud, arrogant, self-sufficient, Christ-defying world is going to learn a very hard lesson when God in the seven-year tribulation unleashes judgment, brings this earth to its knees, and finally sends Christ, who will slaughter the enemies of God 
and of his people with the sword of his mouth. He will, in that, sen- in that way, verse 9, make wars to cease to the ends of the earth. Uh, we're saddened right now, and we should be, um, that what's happening in Israel, we grieve over the violence of evil men. We grieve that Israel, out of necessity, must defend herself, and that means that innocent people are being killed in Gaza. We, we grieve over that. Um, we grieve that there's characters like Putin. We grieve that it just seems that men just have to itch for power and they've got to fight. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if we've had a World War I where millions and millions of men died and people died of disease. It doesn't matter that we had World War II and millions and millions and millions more. We sinful, wicked men, and we, we, we fight. We fight for selfishness. We fight for pride. The God of this world, Satan, the wannabe God, he stirs men, wicked men up. And so we're saddened to see at this moment the potential for uh, great conflict and the potential's there. We don't need to be afraid, but we need to be wise that our Lord said that there would be wars and rumors of wars until the end. But the time is coming when God will cause wars to cease and he is the only one. doesn't mean we, we, that we don't make efforts. We certainly are thankful for peace efforts, some of them. <laughs> uh, there's a time to fight. We are thankful, though, that for the modicum of peace that we've known for the most part in our generation. Of course, we've had soldiers fighting in dangerous places, parts of the world, and sometimes here in the United States we've forgotten that. But God, in the end, will make wars to cease. He'll make them cease altogether. He can do that, and he's going to. He will break the bow bow and cut up the spear. He'll burn the chariots with fire. And if there's still tanks around and missiles and nuclear weapons, he'll take care of those too. No problem. And cease striving. Um, we've often, in, I don't know, in at least my understanding in the past, and I've heard it, we've, we've often thought of that in terms of, oh, how nice that is. God is, God is coming alongside us and saying, there, there, stop bothering yourself Stop getting in such a, a uh, dither about what's going on. I don't, that, in the context, that's not what's going on there. It, it's similar to, just keep your finger in Psalm 46. It's very similar to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah 2, verse 13. We didn't have a lot of time to focus on this, but there the angel of the Lord says, Be silent all flesh before Yahweh, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. That's not a suggestion. That's not a there, there. Oh, be quiet now. Cease striving. Back to Psalm 46. That cease striving is a call, a command to 
reckon with the majesty of God and to bow before him. It's kind of like Psalm 1, kiss the son lest he be angry. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Cease striving and know that I am God. Because if you don't take the first step, if you will, to know that I am God, God is going to teach men that he's God. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted. This is our comfort again. This is why we don't fear. We know the plan. We who have trusted in Christ, we do fear God, and we know that he's going to win. He's not going to let his glory to be trampled upon forever. I not might be, I hope to be, I plan to be, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The sovereign, holy, determinative will of God that in the end he will be supreme. And what an encouragement to us, again, that he will cause wars to cease. There is a time coming when we won't have to be afraid of evil, wicked men anymore. There is a time coming when all will be peace. And we should drink deeply of that thought every once in a while. We need to. It will not always be this way. It won't. And so we can know that God will be exalted. And verse 11, finally, it closes with comfort. Yahweh of hosts is with us. This is the God that's with us. This is our God. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Interesting, the God of Jacob, of course, Jacob, the father of Israel, Jacob's name turned into Israel. But it's interesting, Jacob's name essentially means the one who strives. (laughs) God is the God over and above the strivers. And Jacob learned, Jacob learned, though the hard way, but Jacob learned that God was God and that he could trust him. And we can too. Let's pray. We're thankful, Father, for just a few moments to reflect on this beautiful psalm. We pray that it would be frequently in our hearts and our minds. We are so grateful in this fearful world filled with devils that we do not need to be afraid. In fact, we're commanded not to be afraid, and why should we? For you are our God, and your Son, Christ, is our defender. And again, with Paul, we rejoice to say, if God is for us, who can be against us? We say this not smugly. We say this not flippantly. We say this as those who are weak, who are by nature those who could be played with by Satan as if we were little toys. But because you have set your love on us, because you have appointed Christ to be our Savior, our Defender, our High Priest, because you have placed your own spirit within your people, we have absolutely no reason to be afraid. Still our hearts in these days where they're tempted to tremble, May our hearts be directed to you. When we are tempted to fear, may we instead worship you, that you are God over these awesome unfolding events in this present time.
We do pray again tonight for those in Lewiston, Maine, and those families who have been affected. We, we pray that they would know you as their refuge and strength. We pray again that you would strengthen the hands of Christians in that area who may have contacts, pastors. May the gospel loom large in that city, in that area, in these dark days. And we do pray again for Israel even tonight. And, and we won't tire of it because... We know you, God, and that you, Lord Jesus, love this little beleaguered, disobedient nation. And we long for the day to come when they will look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him with a true repentance. May you, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray again tonight. But until then, help us to be your people living without fear, not giving in to the bent of the culture and not giving in to the cheap um, substitutes the culture offers. May we know you as our majestic and great and loving and sovereign God. And may the truth of who you are so saturate our thoughts and our very being that we are ever increasingly a settled people at peace because you are our God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.